Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice, and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. Your gender. Your education, your background, and your earning potential are all connected. A woman's earning potential goes up 20% for every year of schooling she completes. And sadly, girls are less likely to complete school than boys. If we're going to create gender equality in the workplace, we need to understand that not all women have the same backgrounds, privileges, and experience. Meet our social impact pioneers, Rani Puran and Terry Gonzalez. They are champions of women in the workplace, working tirelessly to create gender parity in education and in business. Together, they're going to talk in practical terms about what we can do to help girls, particularly from marginalised backgrounds, to succeed, prosper and reach their potential. They are going to share practical ways for individuals and employers to take positive action. Rani Puran is the Head of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at the International Finance Corporation, part of the World Bank Group. Based in Washington, D.C., Rani has worked in the U.K., U.S. and Canada. She is a past chair of the United Nations Environment Programme, Finance Initiatives, Gender Equality Working Group, and a former board member and vice president of a community mental health agency based in Toronto. Terry is the executive director of Circle de Luz, the Charlotte-based organisation empowering young Latinas through extensive mentoring, holistic programming, and scholarship funds for further education. Terry was appointed as one of the first 17 United Nations Young Leaders for Sustainable Development Goals in recognition for her work around the world. She has worked at the United Nations Foundation, the Organization of American States, and the World Bank Group to advance shared prosperity, youth empowerment, gender equality, diversity, and the upward mobility of underserved groups. Terry says, I am a proud immigrant from Mexico and a leader of a US-based organization empowering young Latinas and advancing their education. I believe education is one of the greatest assets a person can have with a ripple effect on communities, economies, and the next generations. So Rani, Terry, great to have you. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Rani, for having me. It's good to be here with you guys today. Um, Terry, I wanted to turn to you first. Why is understanding gender and someone's wider background and experiences so important if we really are to crack the tricky nut of gender equality in workplaces? Well, it's certainly a tricky nut. Uh, We can definitely call it that. You know, gender is an important layer of our identity, uh, given that it rules so many of the things we do in our daily lives. Uh, there are so many social norms around it, laws, even uh, workplace interactions are based on our gender. However, uh, no person in this world can be understood just by looking at their gender. We are so much more than that. And there are many layers of our identity 
that interact in the way uh, we develop our career or in the way that others see us and the way we see ourselves. And here I'm talking about gender dimensions intersecting with our race, with our ethnicity, with our country of origin, our sexual orientation, our physical or intellectual abilities. And I think it is very important for employers to understand that we are all of these things and many more, so they can unlock really a world of opportunity in terms of talent, in terms of innovation in the workplace, and really reaping the benefits that diversity can bring to a business or to an organization uh, in general. And I know that this can really seem out of reach in the workplace. These are complex topics that sometimes are hard to translate uh, into concrete actions or experiences in the workplace. So I wanted to share two stories with you all and our audience to bring this down to, down to earth. When I started working here in the U.S., a year into it, it was 2015, and the U.S. Supreme Court uh, ruled in favor of marriage equality. I was not out at the moment as a lesbian woman. The day that the Supreme Court ruled in favor, the office popped champagne and started celebrating, interrupted work, and celebrated this big achievement for the country that I was working in. In that moment, I felt validated, I felt celebrated, even though my colleagues didn't know this part of me. But it inspired me in a personal way. I was like, oh, I can truly be myself here. If I came out in this office, no one would blink an eye, right? Might as well celebrate it. So it inspired me at a personal level, but also in a professional level. I was like, well, the work that I'm doing at the moment was around the sustainable development goals is actually connected and weaves into the workplace where, where I am at the moment. So that was a very positive experience for me. And it demonstrated me that my organization and the workplace, my colleagues, management, celebrated diversity. In this case, uh, sexual orientation. Then moving on, another experience not as positive, I interacted with a colleague sharing about the work that I was doing with my nonprofit in Mexico. We were working on sustainable lighting solutions. And I shared what we were doing because this person was doing work in a, in a similar space. And it was just an informal coffee, but in that conversation, this person said to me, well, you know, you're a woman. Why don't you leave technology to the boys? And then I shared that this work had been done in Mexico. And this person said, well, why don't you do what you know how to do, what to do best? Your country doesn't really have a chance to lead in this technology space uh, at the international level. And I was just shocked that I was hearing this at an international mm -hmm. uh, development organization. And to be honest, I didn't know how, how to respond. And I was not well informed, I must say, about the mechanisms or the actions or responses I could take in front of that kind of comment or other actions. Uh, later on, I learned and I knew what 
course of action I could take if someone was discriminating against me in that way or making sexist comments or racist or other. But that was a first encounter. I was not expecting that kind of response and shocked me. So it forced me, unfortunately, through a negative experience Mm -hmm. to do more research about how do we build a more inclusive workplace for ourselves, but also for those around us. Oh, it's the irony of those uh, pigeonholed, shocking, putting down comments that spur you <laughs> to take more action and get going on it. And and Rani, I, I wanted to bring in you at this point. I know you've been thinking a lot about uh, inclusion across the sort of intersections of gender and sexuality, but also cultural backgrounds, etc. What do we know so far about women and particularly pathways education can create for them into the workplace and, and, and beyond? There's been a very interesting report that I see prepared with Coursera that was recently released, and it's called Women and Online Learning in Emerging Markets. And the insights it has on this topic of how education can create pathways for women was eye-opening for me because it looked at about 10,000 people in a survey across Mexico, India, Nigeria, and Egypt. So it's in very large economies uh, in the developing world. And then it also analyzed data from 97 million students across 190 countries. And it basically found that women in Mexico are enrolling in online education in the same numbers as men. However, when there are scholarships and financial aid mechanisms available on the platform to women, they are less likely to make use of them than men. What that tells me is we have to be very intentional about ensuring women are aware of the opportunities that are available to them to be able to access education. They have a pathway. Uh, in their career, and also that we educate them about the benefits of it. It's this intentionality. It's not simple enough to say these supports exist, go out and use them. We actually have to help women understand how they can access it, why it's important. Because from this particular report, we see that women are doing that less than men. And you know, Rani, this makes me think also of the lack of role models. Mm -hmm. Why is it that girls and women are not taking these opportunities even when they might know about them? And perhaps it's because it's difficult for them to see themselves in careers, for example, related to STEM or related to traditionally male-nominated mm-hmm. sectors. Is it that they don't see enough women or enough women of color or Latinx women or Black women when you don't see yourself represented, it's harder to want to be the trailblazer and to have those fights to be the first one or feeling like you are the only one or one of the few. That's a lot of pressure to put into someone. So that's a reflection that I wanted to to share with you. Yeah, absolutely, Terry. This particular report also questions why is it that we're seeing less women than men enrolled in the STEM courses on the online platform. And one of the hypotheses that they have is that it could be 
a lack of female role models. And if you saw instructors that were women that looked like you, you're more likely to take the course, perhaps, in the same way that you're more likely to consider a particular career path because you see someone that looks like you, talks like you, is from the same socioeconomic background as you are. So, yes, the power of role models is very important in creating these pathways for women. Exactly. I'm very happy to see some of our students, and I'll talk a little bit more mm -hmm. later about what Circle de Luz does, but I'm so happy to see many of our graduates going into STEM mm -hmm. careers. We have, for example, a student currently at Princeton University studying computer science. We have a recent graduate who is in her very first semester of gaming and simulation. Uh, she's at the community college starting that career. We also have several students who are going into nursing and health sciences. One of our senior students is excited to start pursuing a path in the medical field also. So I'm seeing a, a trend, more interest into, into these fields. And I hope we can see more. So there are more Latinas, uh, more young Latinas going in, into these fields, perhaps teaching one of these online courses and being a, an example and a role model for, for others. Yeah, that would be fantastic. <laughs> and can I button at the, this point? So, Terry, can we roll it back to you? So you just say you're going to explain what <laughs> Circle to Lose is. For everybody listening, tell us, what is it? And why do you have such amazing insight and helping these amazing people? into these courses. So can you tell us a bit about uh, Circle de Luz and the work that you've been doing? Absolutely. Thank you. Circle de Luz is a non-profit. It is a grassroots organization based in Charlotte, North Carolina. And what we do is supporting young Latinas from the moment they start middle school all the way until they graduate high school. After they graduate high school, we provide them with a $5,000 scholarship so they can pursue further education, whether that is four-year college path, another path at the community college, getting into trades or other education that could support them, for example, in opening a business later on. And the way we, we do this is we provide them with extensive mentorship, holistic programming, and we also support the families. We know that succeeding in school is not just a matter of having the best grades. It's also a matter of having access to food, access to affordable health care, access to mental health services, and many other things that a person needs to thrive. And equally important, we think, for students and families to thrive is to have a community and an environment of people that cares about them, that looks like them, and provides the right resources and tools for them to take the decisions that make sense to them and pursue the paths that they want to. And and that makes beautiful sense from the individual who's being steeped in so much support and 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 love and attention and and, and guidance. But Rani, bringing you in here, what does this sort of support and guidance, what does that mean from a business perspective, like from the employer, from how these people are being able to then enter into the workplace and perhaps even the sort of results for, for organisations such as the IFC, but presumably beyond too? 
Organizations like Circle de Luz are actually helping us, for instance, at the World Bank Group and IFC specifically, access a truly diverse talent pool. So there can be a tendency to hire people that look differently from you, but actually think the same way, because we may come from similar advantageous socioeconomic backgrounds. But when you have organizations like Circle de Luz working at a grassroots level and working with young women at a very early stage before they have even considered going to university, they're actually building that pipeline, equipping these young women with the skills, the tools, the capabilities, ways of thinking that will allow them to apply for jobs at organizations like the World Bank Group, interview well, and then once they get into organizations, they know about the power of sponsorship. They know about the power of mentorship because they've been exposed to it, that supportive infrastructure, if you like, much earlier on. And these are key tools that we use in organizations to help women advance their careers. It sets them up for success. So, But by the time they're ready to interview for jobs, they're well equipped. And... Terry, what do you feel like the challenges are that remains? You've obviously been working on this and really thinking deeply about the model and the support, but presumably it was not all done. And we still got this huge disjointed space between men and women in the workplace and, and particularly women from different cultural backgrounds. And where do those challenges remain and, and how can we potentially scale the positive impacts? I think it is key to engage early on. That's one of the challenges. We are investing in the pipeline too late. We need to invest from middle school or even before that. In the case of Circle de Luz, we do it from middle school, but it could be much earlier. This allows to allows us to tackle issues early on and to support students, their families, and their environment to prepare for what comes next, but also to be informed about the options. It is never too early to celebrate diversity. It is never too early to dream about a about a career in any field that you that you want to pursue. And it is actually this makes me think of the ecosystem that we live in. Without the private sector investing in communities, without nonprofits doing their job or governments doing their job, the picture is not complete. And actually, for the community that we work with, young Latinas, it is a game changer to have future employers investing in the community. It sends an important message. It says, we believe in your journey. We believe that you could work with us at some point. Uh, we believe in your career. And this is a way for employers to see the return of their investment and see it, see it reflected in the diverse pipeline of talent that later knocks on their doors. So I see it as a fascinating cycle that can benefit people and businesses alike. And at the same time, is one of the biggest challenges that, that I see. In a bit of a different direction, obviously from the nonprofit sector and acting at a very local level, I see the challenge of the limited resources that we have. The, constant challenge of having to adapt to unexpected situations like the COVID-19 pandemic with a very limited capacity. So we're always seeking to scale and 
operating in a continuous state of uh, fundraising. So that can be that can be challenging, and that's why we need each other. That's why we need private sector, governments, individuals rooting and supporting and investing in each other. For both of you now, I, this podcast is very much sort of practitioner and advice and support for one another. And I, so I want to ask both of you basically the same question, but slightly to different people. Terry, perhaps to you first, for anybody who's listening to this podcast and thinking, I could really benefit, or I know somebody who could really benefit from the support, whether it's your organization or another such organization could offer me, what would be your advice to them? How can they get going? How could they access some of the support that's out there? My advice would be first to ask around, talk to your community and talk to the people next to you. I know we have access to a ton of information at our fingertips. Technology makes that easier. But sometimes just starting in person, starting with those who are around you and you know, word of mouth can be most helpful and even more direct. My advice would also be just start where you are. If you are working for a company, uh, for an organization, join that employee resource group. Uh, join the groups that represent you or those that you connect with. It's a pretty <laughs> effective way to start creating change in your environment, whether that is your workplace or even community action that your company takes out there. Picking up that volunteer shift with the local nonprofit, we need your help. Signing up for the social media campaign on International Women's Day or the social media campaign that crosses your inbox or your social media feed, that's another way to help. Or really just going to that march with your family that you missed last year. There are very simple steps that you can take. And obviously, context is everything. So be aware of your context. And actually, no one is expecting a big gesture. Just day-to-day action in a small scale where you are at is what can create the most impact. And taking responsibility. We are all responsible for what happens around us. And there's always something that can be done within your context and within your possibilities. Oh my God, brilliant advice there. Thank you so much. And and definitely context is everything. No one's expecting a big gesture. (laughs) Take responsibility. Uh, mantra for my life, I think. I'm, I'll take that definitely forward. Thank you very much, Terry. Rani, turning to you, sitting in a big organisation, for those who are perhaps listening to this conversation thinking, I would love my organisation to lean in, to step up, to try and be better at gender equity and inclusion. What would be your advice to them? That's a great question, Katie. I would talk about understanding that the experience of women in the workplace is not equal. It's very important, as Terry mentioned in the beginning of her podcast, to understand the different dimensions of difference that a woman can bring. And there has been some research done by an organization called Catalyst looking at the emotional tax that people of color or marginalized racial and ethnic groups face in the workplace. And this is a very telling statistic. 50% of women uh, in this particular catalyst study from marginalized racial and ethnic groups are on guard to bias within their work teams at similar rates. So that's 
a slightly complicated way of saying that these people don't feel like they can bring their whole selves to work. They're probably not having the experience that Terry talked about at the beginning of the podcast when, you know, the champagne was popped at work and she felt a sense of belonging. That's what I heard. So 56% of women from marginalized racial ethnic groups don't feel like that on a regular basis. And so that means you are getting decreases in productivity, in engagement, in commitment to work. So there is a very strong business case for looking at enabling women to feel comfortable at work and to consider their sexual orientation and gender identity, to consider their racial and ethnic background, to consider their disability status and that interaction in the workplace. The experience of women in the workplace is not equal. Exactly. And I think, Rani, adding to that, it's important for employers to understand the reality of the communities that those women are are coming from. There's a lack of data out there. So investing in having Mm -hmm. gender disaggregated data, but also by ethnicity, by race, and by many other dimensions is key. Just the community that we work with at Circle de Luz, Latinas, in the US, for example, Latinas are twice as likely as white women to live in poverty. Mm-hmm. We also see that they have higher rates of high school dropout, teenage pregnancy, discrimination, systemic racial discrimination in a systemic way, and also higher rates of unemployment. And it is no secret that the pandemic hit these communities the hardest. So having data within the workplace, understanding how your workforce looks like is important, but also understanding where they are coming from is key to success. Absolutely. And many workplaces, including our own, are on that journey. We have gender aggregated data, and we're beginning to look at how we can disaggregate that by race and ethnicity, by disability status, and a lot of organizations aren't there yet. But it's really key to understanding the specific and unique experiences that different groups of women have. Absolutely. And this call for disaggregated data, I feel as though we've, we hear it so often, and yet there's still an absence. So if anybody's listening, you want to lean into this, get in touch. I feel like you're pushing in an open door here with, with Rani and Terry. They're absolutely, you know, Definitely, you've got some kindred spirits here. And again, ladies, thank you so much for your advice there, both for individuals, but also for those organisations. Sadly, I feel like I want to listen to you guys forever. There is so much to learn from the experiences that you've got and and your vision for the future. And that's the that's my final question for our conversation. I'm sorry to draw it to close, but what is the future? What does next look like for you both? Terry, do you perhaps want to go first? Yes, thank you, Katie. Well, next for us at Circle de Luz is celebrating 15 years of the organization, 15 years of working grassroots deeply with young Latinas and seeing them succeed. That's an important milestone for us. And coincidentally, you know, 15 is a key number for Latinx communities, uh, especially for women celebrating your Quinceañera, as they, as they call it. So we are quinceañeras this year. Uh, we are also looking forward to scaling impact, to creating more community partnerships, to bringing in even further investment into Latinx communities. 
in Charlotte, in North Carolina, in the U.S., and obviously connecting with other Latinx communities around the world because Latinas, Latinos, Latines, we are everywhere. And there's so much we can exchange from uh, each other's experiences. So we are looking forward to new partnerships, new dialogue, and also more concretely, starting kicking off our study groups with students. Uh, we want to support them in being the best students they can, especially now that we are recovering from the pandemic and recovering from the effect that the change in uh, educational models took place, the digital divide, bridging those gaps in technology, especially for women and women from Latinx uh, origin. And we are also fundraising, we are actively preparing to bring in a new class of girls in the fall. So we're very excited about that. And I just look forward to learning, staying curious alongside the Circle de Luz community and team and connecting with our audience here and continue working to advance equity all around. Oh, congratulations and very best uh, for you. Rani, what does 2023 look like for you? Well, in 2023, we have a strong focus on accelerating our culture of inclusion at IFC. So one of the initiatives we're very excited about this year is we're going to be launching an innovative learning program, leveraging uh, various web-based platforms to focus on inclusive communications. And we want to be able to equip all our staff with managerial and supervisory responsibilities with the confidence and the courage to have conversations that make us feel uncomfortable in the workplace. So we're gonna take a modular approach to our inclusive communications learning. We're focusing on race and ethnicity and sexual orientation and gender identity and on disability status to begin with. And we're going to help our staff have inclusive conversations over the course of the year. And again, a massive good luck. Oh, both of you, this is just, it feels like the start. I would love to follow up with you and see how you're getting on and, and come back and tell us how things are going. But also for anybody listening, um, if you want to get in touch, I'll make sure I put the links into the words that sit alongside uh, this podcast. Rani, Terry, thank you so much for sharing your insight and your wisdom with us today. Thank you, Katie. Bye, Katie. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.